Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, this is Stuart Roberts, founder of Haircuts for Homeless, and welcome to the Hear Me, See Me podcast. I'm going to be talking to people who are truly inspirational to me, some you may have heard of, and some you haven't, but you really need to hear their story. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me, See Me podcast. Um, I've got an overseas visitor today, and we've, we've both been one, like being amazed at the wonders of technology, because we're on different time zones, but here we are together on, on Zoom. Uh, today I'm talking to the lovely Katie Stella. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Stuart? Really good. We're both excited, aren't we? You can tell everybody to grin. I love it. Because we, we, we've got introduced via Sonoti, uh, and it's about helping the homeless um, people out there. But before we get into the story of that, uh, just tell us, anyone listening, like your background, where you came from, and what led you into hairdressing. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I grew up downtown Minneapolis. Um, I am really grateful. And I realized like my privilege in growing up in a city where so many people were different than me. And I realized not everybody has that privilege. And because of that, I grew up without this fear of difference. If anything, it just was more of like this, you know, general humanity that I got to experience. And because of that, I got to learn about so many different types of people too. And so as I got older, I always had a heart for people who, you know, were maybe experiencing things that I weren't, like I wasn't. And it was something that has really led into why I became a hairstylist in the first place. Um, I didn't know how to do hair as a kid. Like I never like braided. I didn't know how to curl hair or anything like that. I was such a tomboy and um, hair was just never a big part of my life. Until um, at age 11, I got really sick with an autoimmune disease, which then led to a pretty large surgery when I was 18 and actually caused a lot of hair loss for me. And because of that, I started to realize how important hair was, important to my self-confidence, my identity, you know, who I am. And uh, there are so many things in life that we take for granted that we don't really realize the importance until we lose it. And so... My mom actually booked my first professional haircut when I was, I think, 17, 18, um, because she saw just like the devastation. I had already experienced so much loss in my life just from my illness. And this was just like icing on the cake. And so up until then, my mom had cut my hair. It wasn't anything glamorous. She did the best she could in the kitchen. Um, I definitely got some interesting haircuts as a kid. And uh, she made this appointment for me. And I went and I sat down in that stylist chair and it was a life-changing experience. I felt like a person and not an illness. It's one of the most unique jobs and experiences where people go in with this expectation of being touched and talked to and eye contact and all of those beautiful things that sometimes we just don't realize how important they are. Um, And even though like I've talked to this, you know, stylist over the years and she's like, I didn't do anything extraordinary. But the thing is, is she changed my life with that haircut And like, little did she know it was going to lead into me wanting to go to hair school, open my own business, and then start a nonprofit um, that all kind of surrounded connecting with people through haircuts. And so that's kind of how I got into the industry. It was not easy. I was not naturally talented. 
but I knew why I was doing it. And so it led me to work really hard so that I could actually create that space for other people. Um, and so after going through hair school, being in the industry for a year, I realized there were a lot of discrepancies and things that were not fitting with the foundational values of why I became a hairstylist. And so I had to make the decision, either I get out of the industry, I kind of fall into the patterns, or I do my own thing. And so after being a year behind the chair, um, I was uh, 23 when I opened the doors of my salon. And I it was a small little salon. I was aggressively optimistic. I had no idea how much work it was going to be. But I knew that I wanted to cultivate a space where I could give people an experience like I had because you know, loneliness is a very real thing. And it doesn't matter what you look like, how much money you have, like it's something that is very prevalent. And so even if I could create a space where people for even 45 minutes felt less alone, that's what I wanted to do, as well as to create a space where stylists were paid a livable wage. And um, that was something that was really important to me too, because so oftentimes people weren't able to sustain their lives in this industry. And so you know, fast forward, we've now been in business for, we just celebrated our 10 year anniversary. Wow. And I can honestly say like, this was not at all what I thought my life was going to look like, but I have so much gratitude to be in this, in this place right now. So yeah, that's a little bit of my backstory. Fantastic. Oh, I don't know where to start. You, so you've been, you've been in business 10 years, a salon. Uh, what, what type of salon is it? What is it? Is it unisex? Yep. Yep. So we do all. And that was a really big part of like what I wanted my message to be is, is we actually have it in a mosaic on our, our backsplash that says, come as you are. Like no matter who you are, what you look like, who you love, what you believe, if you have hair or not, like you're welcome in our space. Yeah. And so by really cultivating that for my team as well, for them to be themselves and be their individual, you know, you know, identities that allows other people to feel that comfort and safety to be themselves as well. And so we do everything from cuts, colors, styles. We don't offer any services like nails um, or facials or skincare. So we're very just specific on the things that we do well. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I like that. You know, it, it, there's, there's, it's, there's a place for the multi-talented people, you know, establishments, but I like something about sticking to your core Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And that's what I've realized over the years, especially owning a business is you're not supposed to be good at everything, you know, be good at what you're good at and then ask for help when you need it and give people the empowerment to do what they do well. And then it's successful for everyone. I always say I work from the neck up. Yeah, exactly. You get exactly. the hairy back, and I go, look, yeah, no, no, it's that it collar. Yeah, exactly. Unless your wife's department, don't work that. <laughs> exactly. It's good to have boundaries. <laughs> your, your ethos sounds very similar. I've got a, a great friend who I don't see her far enough of, and, and she's in London, and she's called Sophia Hilton, and she's got a salon called Not Another Salon. Okay, I love that. <laughs> it's great. It's it's great because I th- I think it came from when they was when they was uh, it was blanked out and and what's this new shop going to be? It's in a lovely place in Brick Lane, which is really yeah, multicultural and everything. And I think she I may get I've got this wrong, but I think she heard people saying, "Oh, it's not going to be another salon, is it?" And you, you know, like, that's exactly what she put it, not another salon. But her <laughs> inclusivity and her safe space it, you know it just everything you're saying sounds like and, and it was it was quite groundbreaking and it's a massive success in the UK now and, and online she's that she's like a, a wonderful educator she goes beyond hairdressing in her education 
Oh, yeah. I'm gonna have to find her. <laughs> yeah, Sophia Hilton, not another son. Look, it's uh, they do the ama it's amazing color work, and there again, it's their thing. I mean, they you know you get hair yeah. in there, everything, but theirs is that massive, the beautiful, vibrant colors, and you know, but it's now it's about the team, it's about our life, and okay. yeah, and it comes across, and I think that's a uh, inclusivity is a massive thing nowadays you know absolutely absolutely it's it's essential and I think that's something that I've learned through my salon but then also through my nonprofit is like in order to like bridge gaps of difference you know we have to find those ways to have inclusivity and to recognize more of the core of who people are because if we're afraid of difference if we're constantly avoiding it or avoiding discomfort you know that's not going to solve any of our world's problems you know and yes we're talking about hair but it can go so much bigger than that because we're also talking about humans. Yeah. And and that's something you find early on. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, how we got together was through uh, a, one of our wonderful sponsors. And without our sponsors, we couldn't keep on the road. You know, we got, we've, we've opened over 80 projects across the UK. Wow. Um, we've, we've, we've got over 600 volunteers. We've delivered over 50,000 haircuts since we began. Yeah. But it would all grind to a halt with, you know, we've got some great sponsors and and one of them is Zanotti, who mm -hmm. are wonderfully known American company, not not as well known over here, but they do great work. And all yeah. of a sudden they said to me, I've got an email saying there's this 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 lady who's uh <laughs> something similar in the US and, and we should hook up. I know. I the Zanotti, Zanotti, when they reached out to me initially, I just was like just shocked at first that they found me and that they proactively were like, we want to support you. And, uh, you know, as you know, like doing projects like this, you don't have a lot of, you know, cash flow or financial support. Like you're just showing up with your hands and you're doing, yeah. doing the haircuts. And so to have somebody say, no, we want to back you up. We want to support you. We want to see this project grow. Yeah. It was one of the, honestly, I, I needed that motivation because I was definitely feeling in a place of like, I just don't know what to do. I feel like I'm, I, I can't keep up with the demand. You know, I'm one person like, yes, I have a team, but it just was, it was a lot. And so just to even have that validation of like what we're doing is important yeah. and people are seeing it and valuing it and they want to put themselves behind it and their name behind it. It was, it was incredible. And something that I definitely needed to kind of like light more of a fire under me to continue growing. And yeah. so I'm forever grateful for them. They've been incredible to work with. And so I love also that, I had the opportunity to meet you through them as well. And so yeah. it's one of those things where it's like that kind of support can look so many different ways and connecting with people who are like-minded and doing similar things is so important to, you know, continue the growth that we all want to have. Yeah. And I think it's, in, it's incredibly important that, you know, we're all, we're all in the same game. You know, we're all, we're all a, 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 on a united path that, you know, I've got no problem if there's a haircuts for homeless in, you know, Abu Dhabi, if there's one. In, yes. <laughs> I don't care if they call it the same name, you know, and I've had, I've had people say, um, you know, can we, can we open up in different countries? And it's only the logistics because there's so many, once you go to a different continent, there's so many different laws and things like yes. that, that I don't think we, we're big enough to, to be able to do that. Yeah, um, and it's whatever it is. I've got a great friend, Sasha Brewer, who's got the Kind Cut in California. Um, he's been going a long, long time. 
and uh, to hear of yours as well. And I do believe that you'd already heard of us, had you, before Zenoti? Yes, yeah. So when Zenoti, when they told me that they really want me to connect with you, and they're like, oh, there's, there's this person that we work with, it's something called Haircuts for Homeless. I'm like, I've already been following them. <laughs> you know, like your, your name came across um, kind of like my social media and everything when I first started out giving haircuts um, my nonprofit is the Stellar Kindness Project, but the one that is more specific to giving haircuts to those who are like underserved and overlooked or unhoused um, is called the Red Chair Project. Red and so as that started to get some traction and some attention, people are like, well, have you heard about this person? Yeah. And I like looked you up and I just was so excited because kind of like you said, like the more the merrier. Like yeah. there's no such thing as like, that's what I say is like people are like, well, this person's doing something similar, like you know, yeah. are you threatened by that? I'm like, no, competitive kindness. Like, bring yeah. it. Like, yeah. Do, yeah. do what I do, but do it better. You know, do yeah. it in your own way. And yeah. so that's where I really, like, was inspired by what you're doing. And it really did influence me of, like, okay, like, this can become something bigger than just me going out and doing haircuts. Even though there was nothing wrong with that either. But right. it was just an exciting thing. So, yes, Zenoti, I had already heard about you, which made it even more exciting that they were able to connect us. It, it freaks me out sometimes, as I said, that that we we do get these inquiries from different parts of the world, Australia. You know, mm -hmm. we've had all sorts of different places, and you know, and it, it, they actually think we are a worldwide company. They they say, yeah. oh, you know, can we can we can we get in touch? Can we do this? And I say, well, no, we're just in the UK. We're not, like, you know, we can't. And the thing is, I can't run the world. I can just yeah. run my own life, and I'm not doing that very well. So, you know, <laughs> same, like, same. you know, like it, it needs to be, yeah. Everyone, and it, it and it, as I say, we're on the same path. We've got yeah. this passion. We want to help people. Um, and as long as you're doing it in an, an altruistic way, that you know, we're we're all cool. I completely agree, and that's what I encourage people to who reach out, who want to be a part of the Red Chair Project, but maybe don't live in Minnesota or aren't able to come to Minneapolis to do these, these haircuts with us is like, take what I'm doing, but then make it your own. Because the more authentic we are in our communities, like the more approachable and the more impact we're going to have. And so, yeah, take what I'm doing. Absolutely. Yeah. But form it to who you're actually connecting with and meeting with. And, and that's when it's going to become this even more powerful thing where it's not just one individual at the head of something. It's like, yeah. let's get inspired by each other and do it well in the way that we do it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, there's no such thing as a new idea, you know. No, exactly. You know, exactly. You see me doing it. I, I saw Mark Bustos doing it in New York yeah, back in 2014, and he inspired me to do it. Hmm. And, you know, it's not a... Helping people is not a new thing. <laughs> no, and it should never become an old thing either. <laughs> it should become an old thing as well. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's but it's wonderful to see other people doing it. So, so explain to me how a red chair session works. Where where, where do you do? Yeah, that? absolutely. So yeah, so the Stellar Kindness Project started honestly from a place of my own kind of kind of mental health crisis, and the world was so heavy, and I just felt like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't help anyone. And that's where I kind of had this kind of like thought that came into my head of, you know, as I'm looking through social media and seeing all this death, destruction, hate, like all that kind of thing of like, okay, if, if fear is contagious, why can't kindness be? Yeah. And so I started to ask people on social media to tell me a story of somebody who had showed up in their life with kindness that impacted them and changed their life and encouraged them to show up with kindness, to show this ripple effect. 
And the fact that like, if we want to see changes in the world, it needs to start on this micro level. And from there, it just kind of grew and grew. And it just showed me that people were just starving to show up for each other and to show care and compassion. And they all wanted that in return. And so that's how it started. And then, you know, like, you know, I have a salon and there was one time that I was, you know, driving with one of my salon chairs in the back of my car. I had my hair stuff with me too. And there was a man that I've driven by so many times on the corner of one of our highways. And we always wave. He has the best smile. Um, And I realized I've never stopped to ask him his name. And, you know, again, growing up, I grew up around a lot of people who were unhoused, you know, or like had just different privileges than I did. And for me, as a kid, my, my empathy soul was more just sad that they were alone. And that's where I realized in this moment, I was like, I need to just like ask him his name. And so I pulled over, asked him his name. He said, his name's Edward. You know, we exchanged a few words. And then I was like, hey, do you want a free haircut? And he laughed at me so hard. And I realized I'm kind of like the adult version of like a white van with free candy on the side of it. Yeah. Like this weird stranger <laughs> just like saying, hey, do you want a free haircut? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so he laughed really hard. He was like, wait, are you serious? And then like kind of like he sombered up a bit. And he's like, I actually, I have a funeral to go to. And I'm actually out here hoping to get some money to be able to go and get my haircut so that I can go to this funeral. And so I popped out of the car. I pulled out my heavy, heavy, heavy salon chair. And I cut his hair right there. And we had a beautiful conversation. And not only that, but the people driving by were slowing down and watching and waving and handing him money and like food. And it almost, it made me realize like it kind of made people stop in their tracks and see a human and not just a sign or not somebody that makes them uncomfortable because they don't have something to give. And it showed me that there's something really powerful about this and something powerful about going to people where they're at. You know, my salon, I say, come as you are, you know, but not everybody has the luxury or the comfort to walk through my doors. So what if I bring that salon experience to them? So it started out just with me, like taking my chair out and going around my community and asking people if they wanted free haircuts. So many people would say no, but it gave me an opportunity to at least stop and talk to them and recognize them as a person and show that value. And then some people started to say yes. And it started to become something that, you know, I'm running a business. And so it wasn't something that I like had a whole laid out plan of like, this is how I'm doing it. It was more just, you know, something I say is like, if you have the ability to give, it's a responsibility to give. I didn't always have the ability to give, but when I did, I took that as a responsibility and I would go out and do this and connect with the community in that way. And so from there, it definitely started to get some attention um, and it, it got to a point where, you know, we, a local news station wanted to like uh, do a little feature on us. And, uh, you know, at first I was conflicted because I'm like, I don't want anybody to feel exploited. You know, this is, this is not what this is about. And I, like, I was yeah. really nervous, but then realizing like, okay, I have a platform. So many of these people want to share their stories, have their face seen, you know, and if I have a platform, then I need to use it because not everybody has that platform, you know? And so I did a lot of soul searching. And I realized, okay, yes. Like, let's do this. Um, and the the special was beautiful. And it really encompassed, like, what, you know, I was trying to achieve with this project. And and that's something that I've said is, like, even if that the project started and ended with that haircut with Edward, it was a success. Um, but once that went out uh, on the news, it we were just flooded. And again, I'm one person. 
And we were flooded for people all over the nation internationally that were sharing this video, making their own little versions of the video, reaching out, wanting to give money, to donate their time, to donate supplies. And it was like overwhelming and in a beautiful way, but also a terrifying way. And all of a sudden I was like, okay, what do I do with this? Like, what do I do with this? There's something about it that grabbed this attention. And also these haircuts give an opportunity to show the lives of people that are often not paid attention to and show things in our society that are keeping people stuck in places that, you know, they, they don't deserve to be in. And so using this project is not only showing like these good, happy stories of connecting with people. It's also bringing to light areas that we need to improve on across the board. And so from there, it's just grown. And we now like work with tons of volunteers. We work with shelters and organizations you know, we still do our like little single, like going out into the community, but we have so many people that want to get involved that we're like, we got to organize this a little bit better. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, we've done thousands and thousands of haircuts, worked with hundreds of volunteers. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I know this project can grow, but it is like, it's, it's the capacity thing of like, and I'm, I'm one person. So it's working on getting that kind of foundation built so that we can continue doing more and more good in the community. I, I, I get that so much. And it, it, we sounds like we're at a sort of similar crossroads as well, you mm -hmm. know, because it's that thing. And like it's it, sometimes it really troubles me that we're not doing enough. Yes. But, yeah. And, it, and people say, Oh, you can't say that you're doing so much, but it's, when it's down to you, when it's your your thing, and you know you're getting you're getting places, different parts of the UK saying, "Can you come and do it at our, our place?" And we have to sometimes we have to decide which one we're going to go to, which is more appropriate. Yes. We can't go to all of them, you know. Saying no is the worst thing. <laughs> yeah, but you have to. You have yeah. to. And, and there are times when it may be a centre. I'm not saying that the four people who need a haircut aren't important. Mm -hmm. It's just it takes a lot of time, resources to get a get a project together. Um, yeah. If you've got one that there's sixty people, one that there's four, you've got to try and go to the one where there's sixty people. Yeah. And the worst thing I find as well is I don't know which site over there, but with volunteers, it's so precious that they give their time up. Mm -hmm. You don't want them standing around and not doing nothing because then it's yeah. it's deflating. So you've mm -hmm. got that expectation of making sure that they it's rewarding for them because they're, they're giving their time for free. Absolutely. Well, and I think that that's like been kind of the the biggest hurdle for me because I'm, I am a impulsive person. So like, it's easier for me to just like drive my own ship in the sense of like, I just go and do whatever. If nobody wants a haircut, I'm not let down. Like yeah. I'm not setting expectations. You know, I have everything I need, but organizing larger groups. Like I think, you know, we've had everything from like just me to like, 10 to 12 to, you know, I don't even know how many hair size we've had in one sitting, but it is that pressure of like, and that's what I tell my volunteers is number one, the first priority is showing up. You might not get to do, to do a haircut, but the fact that you showed up and you were ready to do that already speaks volume in the community. And so kind of setting that expectation too, because, you know, it's like, you never know, you can organize these things as, as well as possible, but it's there are so many variables and I think that's something that people don't understand and I think that that's something about like having a social media where people can kind of see you know what unfolds and what these projects look like it looks way more like <laughs> buttoned up than it actually is 
Like I'm, I'm borrowing my mom's minivan to carry all these chairs over to, to like a shelter. And it's like, not that glamorous and it's like exhausting and like overwhelming and, and always worth it, you know? And I think that that's the thing is like, it's not like doing things that are easy, you know, that it only keeps you in a certain place, you know? And I think that when you kind of put that little struggle behind it too, it almost emphasizes the value and the intention that you're doing for people. And I think that that's where, you know, like I, I carry these huge red chairs, which right now I'm trying to raise money to get 10 chairs on wheels. I have one on wheels and it has been life changing because yeah. otherwise I'm carrying these like heavy, like with the big base chairs to all these different places. But again, that, that has also become like a really important thing of just bringing that experience to people. Yeah. And then also that red chairs become more of this beacon of like safety of if people in the community see the red chair, they know that we're there for them, you know? And so yeah. really to cultivate that. But yeah, it's, it's so different managing yourself and then managing 50 volunteers. Like yeah. it's a completely different ball game. Yeah. I think uh, the other thing you, you find is that when you are spending your time, you're, you're running your own business as well, which I used to. Uh, and, you know, I get that. Then sometimes you give too much time to the passion and you neglect mm -hmm. your business even sometimes. I've done that. And yep. you know, uh, but also if you're there's me and my sister run haircuts for homeless and oh, cool. you know and we sometimes it's like you you're spending days on admin chasing things trying to get clippers sent in and you know all these things and you think if 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 we had a bit more maybe if we had a few more people that we could that we could hand that over to we'd be out there then go out and do the stuff that I love doing. It's just, I want to be out there doing the work. I cannot tell you how much I relate to that. I like everything that you just said, like number one, the whole like business side of things of I've made a promise and commitment to my business and the people in the business. And this could be completely more than a full-time job for me yeah. doing this, the stellar kindness project. And so finding that balance of, that so that you're not neglecting the things that you've already committed to and that are important to you as well. Um, but yeah, like I, I always think like, oh, if I could just have a team of people that could do the things I hate doing so that I can be out there, like my, my passion is being face to face with people, yeah. you yeah. know, and that's, that's what has given me joy. And whenever anything grows, whether it's my business, which started out, you know, with five people and now is like a team of 21, or this project, which started out just with me and now has all these volunteers. Yeah. Yeah. You start to do the things you don't enjoy doing in order to allow it to grow. Yeah. And eventually my hope is to be able to, in both settings, you know, really have established a team of people that, you know, is aligned with my values so that yeah. I can really start to just do those things that, that give me joy, that made me start it in the first place. But it takes time, it takes hard work, and it takes doing things that are not super fun. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my my one of my goals is because um, I'm a lot older than you, uh, so I've probably logi lo uh, logically speaking, I've probably got a bit less time left than you have. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, is that I, I I want it to get to the point where it's beyond me. Mm -hmm. At the moment, it's still very much about me, my sister, and and. and I want it to get to the point where it goes way beyond me that it's around after I'm gone. Yeah. And that's, I would say that's my key 
goal for Haircuts for Homeless. I love that. I, I definitely can. That resonates with me, too. And I think, you know, like like you said, too, like these projects started with us. And so, like, I've, I have been more of the face of the project and I'm ready to not just be yeah. like that. Like, I want other people to be more of that, like that highlight so that it can grow and it can be sustainable and it can outlast me. You know, if ever I wasn't being able to do it, I don't want it to be so reliant on me showing up to all these things to continue doing this work. And and that is, and it's finding people who have like-minded values and passion and excitement. Because I don't know about you, but like, I also get very protective over this project. Yeah. You know, it is really hard for me to hand it off, especially because we end up, you know, getting the chance to meet people in very vulnerable populations. And so there's there's also that level of like intention and respect and making sure that we're entering into it, not with this idea of saving people, but seeing people. And yeah. and so like it is, it's a hard thing for me to let go of too, but it's something that I really do believe, like I will be the bottleneck of this project yeah. if I don't grow in that way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. How, how our model works, we've got, so wherever we go in the country, when we set up a new area, we find a new team leader. Now, mm -hmm. without all of our volunteers, we don't exist. So all of our volunteers are really important, but particularly the, the right team leader is essential. Because yeah. if you find, and funny enough, I've done a podcast just before this, the lovely Annabelle in Croydon, and, uh, you know, she loves everything about Croydon, and she loves, which is a, a suburb of London, and okay. everything about helping homeless people, you know, or to helping people, you know, she's that. And you find them two things in someone, you know, it's invaluable because, A, they've got to love their community, mm -hmm. you know, because yeah. each of our projects isn't a Stuart, you know, it's not me, I'm not there, right. I'm not, I can't. I'll, I'll, I'll get there, I'll get there at the beginning and I'll get the stuff together and I'll get the... The, the you know the noise made and all of the things I can do, but from that point on, it, our projects run every month um, mm -hmm. on the same day. You know that maybe the first Wednesday of the month, the first Monday of the month, or the second Monday of the month. So that consistency is so important to our guests because they get let down so much in life. That, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that's. I think that that is like. Number one, I'm going to want to talk to you more <laughs> about yeah. your model because I think that's exactly like where I'm I'm trying to kind of navigate um, because yeah. that is important and to have like those team leads so that, you know, you have people who you know are really taking care of the project and the people in it. Um, but yeah, the, the that is something too that is really important to always remember is that responsibility of working with individuals who have been let down over and over and over again. And this is something that I say to my volunteers, if you're committing to it, you need to commit to it because this isn't something that you can just blow off because you're actually creating, you know, some, some loss of expectations with people who are already trying to build trust. Yeah. And so it is incredibly important to have that consistency. You're absolutely right. We also say, you know, like we only asked of you a couple of hours once a month. Mm -hmm. And we say that if you if maybe you cannot afford to think help other people for two hours out of your month, mm -hmm. you might want to look at your 
priorities in life. <laughs> Absolutely. That's some time for self-reflection then. I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> and if you still don't want to do it, it's fine. But uh, yeah. for the ones that do, it's not... We kept it on purpose that we did because then everyone gets really excited. They go, oh, I'll come every week and I'll do that. We go, no, look, just come once a month, but keep coming. You know, that, that's the key thing that we need. Yep, absolutely. No, and I think that that's, and I'm sure you have a lot of repeat, like you said, volunteers. And I, I definitely have a core group of volunteers where I can reach out to them and be like, I have this. And they're like, I'm there, you know, and having those people that like understand kind of the weight of it. And like, not only that, but that's what I, I say to like, when I'm trying to build some volunteers and, and for a project is whenever there's somebody who's new, but they come once, they recognize the importance and the value and like the joy that comes from it. And then they keep coming. Sometimes it's hard to get people to commit when they've never yeah. experienced it before. But once they experience it once, it's it's a beautiful thing to see them be like, yes, this is something I want to commit to. Yeah, it's and, and the thing is, it's it's getting across to people the absolute joy and the reward. And it sounds cliche, but it's genuine. That no. I can I can go to a session, and I'm a human being. You know, I like to remind people well, I'm a human being. I'm grumpy. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm selfish. I'm self-absorbed, and I'm all these things that we all are. And there's days when I the last thing I want to do is get in the van or get on a train and take me bags and go, you know, and it's a horrible hot day or a horrible cold day, you know, and, and I'm, I'm grumpy all the way there. But the yeah. minute it starts, all, it all lifts. Yeah. And I, I, we had a photographer, for, Jack Eames, he's a wonderful man and he followed us around for a couple of years and we, did, we, we made this wonderful book of the images of our guests. Oh, I've seen it. It's beautiful. Uh, and he, he, said to, he said to me, I've been watching you, Stuart, and he said, the minute it starts, he said, you come alive. Mm -hmm. And I, I do get it because I have been really far from on, on the ball, oh. but the minute I get the first person in the chair, hey, yeah. you all right? How's it going? And I sort of liven up, you know. Absolutely. No, and that's so true, and I can relate to that too because I think people like on social media and everything, they see the bright, shiny version of it. Yeah. You know, but they don't see like the the night before when I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, I'm so tired. I wish I didn't plan this, like all this stuff. But then I, you know, get my head on straight. And I'm like, nope, I know every single time this is absolutely worth it. And it's yeah. worth the exhaustion and stress. And I'm a person too. And I think that that's something that I'm constantly being reminded of, of like with this project. I'm not perfect. There are times that I've stepped up. There are times that I'm like, I should have done that better. Or that was not a reflection of what I wanted to be. Or, you know, I get called out for things and I have to really look inside of like, okay, why am I doing this? Can I stand behind this? Or is this something I need to look at and reevaluate? Because it is, it's a, a very, like we're, we're humans and we're going to mess up. And it's sometimes hard when you're doing a project like this that is so focused on, on like just good and so whenever your humanity comes through like it's always like I don't want to undervalue what I'm doing but I am a person and I'm going to mess up and a not like a big thing that I have to do is just like take accountability responsibility and learn from it and do better next time um and and that you know it's it's a scary thing to put yourself out there and be like this is what I stand for and then just waiting for somebody like can they poke holes in this like where am I gonna like fall short you know and so I appreciate like the patience and compassion of people yeah. around me, people that work with me, because 
they see all the different flavors of Katie Stellar, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we had we had a thing uh, similar to your news thing. We had a um, the National Lottery done a, a TV advert and it, had, oh, it got so much coverage in the UK. Uh, I think it went around Europe as well. And um, we had that influx of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you sort of, it's actually quite intimidating when you get bombarded with kindness as well, you know, because if you're not, you're not really used to it. And there was this like message after message after yeah. message. And someone then put great video, rubbish haircuts, right? I took that person to bed with me that night, you know, and I swear there was like 15,000 positive comments. What yeah. was the one I took to bed with me that night? Oh, yep. Oh, yeah. I, I've had people say that this girl has white savior complex or she's only using this to like benefit her business. And like it hits me in like all these like really yeah. insecure spots yeah. where I'm like, those are the things I'm fighting against. Like, oh my God, that's what people are thinking. And again, it was one comment out of hundreds and hundreds, yeah. but it just hit me in that place. And like, that was always whenever those comments or whenever anybody pushes back or like on social media where we'll have people be like, like I've occasionally had people be like, you're exploiting people or you're, yeah. you know, you're doing this just for your own benefit. And, and I'll always like respond, like, you know, like, thank you for the feedback. Like <laughs> that I want to like always challenge myself. <laughs> tell me, tell me what you're doing. <laughs> oh my God. I say that all the time, but it's like, I'm like, okay, well, tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you're doing in the community so I can learn from you. Yeah. You know, Oh, you're not doing anything. Yeah. Okay. Then come with me on a project and see what it actually is like yeah. before you talk about these things in this way. And it always shuts them up because I'm like, I will put myself out there. Like, do you want to come see it? And then if you still have critique, I'll take it, you know? And then it's always important to like, look at the critique and be like, okay, this person does not deserve the time of day. But then this person brings up something that maybe I need to pay attention to. But it's always interesting. Oh no, when I first got, when we went viral, the comments, remember Boyd Burke, he was the one that did the TV special. texted me this link to this website that is just known for very negative context, putting people on blast. And I'm actually kind of proud that my kindness was so disgusting to them that I made it onto that site. But he said to me and he's like, never thought you'd be on here. Right. And I was like, Oh my gosh. He's like, don't read the comments. And of course I read every single comment. I just, I couldn't stop. <laughs> it's great, shouldn't it? Someone says it's up with kids. Never say to a kid, don't do that. Because they oh, yeah. no. do that. They don't, they don't down that. the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My best yeah. troll, I had a troll, uh, and it actually made me really laugh. I had a picture of, um, I was a little, I told you our ambassadors, Lena Headey from Game of Thrones, and we had a picture together. She came on a podcast and we had a picture, and there's all these Game of Thrones, it goes viral. Anything poor Lena does, it just, it just became a Rome fans, you know. And uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a picture of me with her with my arm around her. And they said, yep. is, is that Hodor? <laughs> so this guy called me Hodor. And then all my family all started calling me Hodor. Okay. My son-in-law bought me a T-shirt with Hodor on it. And that it, is it was hilarious. the best one ever, you know. <laughs> Hold on. I actually love that. <laughs> That's the thing. You have to laugh about it and you have to remind yourself that, like, 
a lot of the people that are speaking into these things in a negative way aren't doing anything or they've never experienced something like this. And so what, you know, what value do their words have, you know, and sometimes you just have to laugh it off, but that's where I have to keep going back to like, I'm doing the best I can with what I have with the best intentions. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to take responsibility and then I'm going to show up the next day and do it better. I think if, 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 if you can look in the mirror and you know, you're authentic, it's all about authenticity. And if you're an authentic human being, don't really, it don't really get to you, the other stuff. Yeah. And if you know, you'll have doubts and, and these type of things give you the doubts, but deep down, if you know, then you, you, you can sleep at night, which yep. is Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree. And, and it's not going to stop me, you know, it's just like, you're just going to keep learning from it. And honestly, it says to me more about somebody else's misery than it does about what I'm doing. And so then I just feel sad for them. Yeah. Yeah. What a tragedy if it, if it were to make someone stop. Um, I know. So, uh, so, so tell me more about the kindness project. So I know all about the red chair. What, what does the kindness project involve? I think that that's something that's like been interesting since the red chair project more specifically is what grabbed the attention of the nation. Yeah. So many people um, that that's a lot of like what people are interested in. That's what they recognize. And the kindness project is definitely more encompassing of, you know, showing up and being kind and really emphasizing that kind of, like I said earlier, if we want to see macro changes in the world, it has to start on a micro level and yeah. to not or underestimate the power of like a small act of kindness. Like if I think about that haircut that I got and that woman was like, I didn't do anything crazy, extraordinary, but it completely changed the trajectory of my life. You know, just that idea of like that small kindness yeah. or recognizing humanity or valuing somebody can completely change the course of their life and who knows what they'll do. And yeah. so with the kindness project, Like I said, a lot of it actually started out with storytelling. So people would send me stories of people who showed up in their life with a quiet act of kindness. And I would invite that person in and say, you've been nominated for this kindness. This person shared this with me. Come into my salon. I'm going to conduct an organic interview in the best way I can, which is by doing your hair, whatever you want. And we just sit and we talk about why are they kind? Did they realize they were kind? Like trying to give more of a holistic look at, you know, you're making an impact on people's lives, like negative, positive, neutral, you are making an impact. And like, how do you want to do that? And you might not even recognize it. And yeah. so lift these stories of like a librarian in a high school, you know, who was somebody who didn't just, you know, work in the library. They celebrated students who didn't have people outside of, you know, the school to really support them. They would walk people around the school when they're having a panic attack. They would sit with somebody when they had a breakup. You know, so that person came in and got her hair cut and I gathered notes and stories from all these students and like put together this huge like book for her as well. Wow. And it just to show like, this is your impact, you know, and you might not realize that you might not get gratitude, but you're yeah. changing lives. So it started out really like that. And something that I really found to be important, and I've seen that with your work as well is the importance of photos. You know, and having just that emotion captured because it helps people connect before they're off of their computer. And that's something that I've said about my projects. I want to get people off of social media and into their communities. But if we want to meet people where we're at, whether that's, you know, in the unhoused community, 
I also want to meet people where they're at on social media and start to bring it all together so that people can start to get comfortable with others before they even like step out to physically meet somebody. Um, and so stellar kindness has also like evolved into just community support. Like I am a yes person. If I see a need and I can help with it, we're going to. And so like, for an example, like we've done plenty of community events. I've worked with um, like a group called Teen Venture where we bring teens into my salon and we do just like education and get them to cut mannequins hair and just talk about owning a business and working just with kids like that. But then we also are doing like we've thrown like boutiques with donated goods where people can come and shop for free and find clothes that actually work for them instead of just getting something donated like to come and feel like a human and choose things that fit who they are. Yeah. Um, and then during COVID, we had so many encampment communities um, pop up and we still have so many here. And there was just such a struggle for water and basic human need, you know. And, and so we became a hub at my salon because we had developed this reputation um, and people would donate money and we became a hub for all these waters and food and ice and everything. Some like we ended up getting enough donations to buy a freezer to keep ice in. And then volunteers would come and distribute them to these different communities. Yeah. And so it's finding ways to use what I have to support the community. And because we've developed this reputation, it is like this extra level of like responsibility of there's a platform here. People trust us. And so we can actually show up in these smaller ways versus waiting for, you know, yeah. city or like government to be yeah. able to give what they need. It's more that bottom up of like, how can we support people in this moment? You know, yeah. we might not create societal change right now, but there are things that we can do to actually show that this person matters, this community matters. And so that's where, you know, when people ask, like, what's your elevator pitch for Stellar Kindness Project? I'm like, well, the elevator is a part of a building that has like a thousand floors and it goes really slowly because I could go on and on about all the different things that we're doing. But really, the essence of it is showing up, being kind, lifting up people who are doing amazing things quietly yeah. and emphasizing that you don't have to have a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of skill to show up for others. It can be, you know, a simple smile and it sounds cliche, but that's something that I ask people like when I'm doing haircuts, you know, on the side of the road, like, okay, number one, what is something that you wish people knew about you? People drive by you all the time, maybe making judgments. They don't know you. Like what's one thing they that you wish they knew about you, which always sparks a really interesting conversation. But then another question I ask is besides food, water, money, what are things that you really value receiving from people? And so many times the answer is eye contact, acknowledgement, recognition, saying hello. And those are things that we all have the ability to do. So Stellar Kindness Project is really trying to just open up, like we all can have this impact you know, learn from all these other stories, these people, look at these photos, you know, and have it propel you forward into figuring out a way, even if it's just like your mom, like to do something, it's just like, it. there's nothing that's too small. So that's like, I guess, in essence, the Stellar Kindness Project, but really the focus has been on the Red Chair Project, because yeah. that has been where, you know, we've been able to really find consistency in how to create opportunities for volunteers and to get people yeah. involved. And it's a little bit more tangible, I guess. Yeah. With I mean, that thing of, of what, what people value in those situations, and uh, yeah, it's been said many, many times, but the amount of times people have said to me they feel invisible. 
mm-hmm. which was really the part, the part of the focus of the book, was yeah. people visible, um, not heard, um, me getting thanked, you know, someone thanking me, thank you for talking to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I yeah. talk to you, you know, and it makes the hairs on my hands up every time I say I just literally just got yeah, goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, thank you for talking to me. You know, where, where have we come in society that someone is grateful to be spoken to? I And I'm sure you probably get this too, but I've, I've had so many people that just say, like, I can't believe you're okay touching me. Yeah. You know, I think that that's another thing. And I think that that's, you know, we talk about like just different ways of like connection and, and human needs and basic needs. And I think one thing that we undervalue is human connection, but also touch. And a lot of people in communities like the ones that we, you know, intentionally are working with are people are avoidant of them and touch is so important and safe touch. And again, like being a hairstylist is one of the only professions outside of like the medical field where it's like an expectation that you touch and there's something that's so vulnerable about that. And I think that's something that's always lost on me is the fact that somebody who doesn't know me and has had so many like experiences in their life that have broken trust, that they're allowing me to sit them down in a chair, change their appearance, talk to them and touch them. It just shows that this is a beautiful opportunity to kind of hit a lot of different areas that people are needing and like desiring. Uh, there's the obvious things that people would often say about when they're, when they're going to be volunteering and they, they, they escalate things in their mind, you know, like, is it going to be, you know, these terrible, you know, drug addict people and, you know, is it violence? And, um, and it's very, very rarely that. And it's very, it's never as bad as they think it's going to be. But there are times, and, and, and I think as, as the years have gone on, I've become a bit nose blind, but there mm. are, you know, you walk in a place and there is a smell, you know, when you go in a certain uh, homeless centre or it, and there's a strong, powerful, overpowering smell. And um, and it was, a, it was a time, uh, one session in particular, that I did this guy and he was in a wheelchair. And even though I'm very used to it, he was, he, he had a very powerful, not good smell. You know, it was very, very powerful. My sister was looking over at me and I was sort of cutting hair and I was sort of turning to one side to take a breath because it was so powerful. Right? Now, that didn't repulse me. Mm-hmm. It didn't repulse me at all. It was, I had to cope with it because it wasn't, it was very, you know. But what it left me with was such a feeling of, of I just felt for the man. Yeah. Because I thought, you, you, you're living on the streets, you're in a wheelchair. Yeah. Now, you, you, how are you going to keep clean? Mm-hmm. How are you going to possibly keep clean in that situation? It's difficult enough for someone without a home to mm-hmm. find somewhere to wash. Sometimes they'll have a quick, like a little strip wash or something, but they've not had a shower. Yeah. Had a shower for two, three, four months. You know, mm-hmm. I now, some, I spend, some days I spend loads of time in the shower because I sort of sometimes get in there and I think of it and I think, how wonderful it is to just have water running over your body, you know. So the thing is, it's, it, it, it gives you the gratitude mm-hmm. of, of that and the understanding that if, if someone is, um, you know, unpalatable to you or, you, you, you know, you think, think about their situation. Mm-hmm. They're just exactly the same human being as you and I 
but they've got different circumstances. Yeah. And how they cope with some of those circumstances, I'll never know. I don't yeah. think I'm strong enough to continue. Some, yeah, They're, they can be some of the most resilient people. Yeah. Ever. And I think that that is definitely something that I have also experienced. And And like you said, like, it isn't like whenever I come across, whether it's really dirty hair or I, you know, I'm having to comb out like mats in hair or, you know, that, that type of thing. I look at this person and I just am like, you've been so let down. Yeah. You know, you've been so let down and you keep going. And I think that that's something I've had conversations with people like, and you continue to go and you continue to show up. And that shows a strength in you that is beyond, you know, what a lot of people can even fathom and just really try to instill that in people of like, you know, there's no need to feel shame. Like you have really overcome so much to even just be here today. And of course, like I'm sitting here being like, I want to fix all the problems. I want to get you out of here. I want to get you a shower. I want to get you into a home. I want to do all these things. And that's where I have to dial back and be like, okay, there's so much I can't do. What can I do? Yeah. You know, otherwise it's paralyzing. Yeah. I, I think um, it, it, some, as, as well, some of it, you may have this, sometimes I have volunteers who have got maybe quite a good life, you know. Mm-hmm. They can't think of their time. They've got maybe a very good life. They maybe have quite a comfortable life. And then sometimes they say to me that uh, they feel very guilty. I feel so guilty that I've got this life and, and, and I'm seeing these people that are in these situations. And my advice to them is always just replace guilt with gratitude. Mm-hmm. And you can then you can keep going. You can. Yeah. You know, I you love can that. A, a negative into a positive, you know, uh, and just just you are allowed. To, if you work hard, you're allowed to have rewards. If you've got a lovely family, if you've got you know all of these things. You've probably put a lot into that family. You know, you deserve a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just be grateful. And, and, it, and it does. Well, and I think that that's the thing is that guilt and shame can keep us so stuck. But having that gratitude, mm. I think, opens us up to even be like, I have so much. I'm able to give or I'm able to support or care, you know. But it's not a negative thing that I have good things in my life. And I think the thing that I've realized is if you have conversations with these individuals who are unhoused or underserved, they have good things too. The amount of gratitude I hear in my chair when I'm giving haircuts from people who have nothing, it just shows it's not what you have. And the communities that have been built, I, I'm like, they, they, it's it's incredible. It just like is it's mind blowing, and I'm like I can't be grateful for my life with everything I have, but they can be grateful yeah. with nothing. That yeah. is a me thing. That is a me thing. Yeah. And how many times do you see how much they help each other? Oh, I so many. Yeah, there was one time that I was doing a haircut outside of like there was a, a Target, was like a big store, and I was doing a haircut, and somebody gave this guy uh twenty bucks, and you know, after I was done with the haircut, he's like, I'm going to go over to my friend. I know that she really needed new shoes. And so I'm going to go give this to her. And it just was like, you don't have anything and you just got $20 and you're going to go give it to somebody because they, you see, they have a need like goosebumps again. And again, it's just so humbling. 
of like, gosh, like humans are amazing. They're amazing. And it just propels me forward of like, I just want to be a better human too, you know, and, and really like take away, like strip away, you know, the physical barriers, the financial barriers, like all of those things that we think keep people in a place they are and really look at like, you can find joy in anything, you know, and it's not to put a sparkly bandaid on the pain and like the, the horrible things that happen. And that's something I always say too, is like, I don't want to just put a picture out of us doing haircuts and have it be like sparkly, like, Oh, look at how great this is. You know, like, yes, that exists, but also we have to be able to look at the whole picture of like, and there are a lot of people suffering and there are a lot of people who are struggling and what are we going to do about it more as a society, you know, and what are some of our more long-term goals? But right now, yes, this is a beautiful moment. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad. I think that we, you know, we could do we could do one of these every month. I think um, maybe. Yeah, we'll... I was gonna say. I, I definitely, like I said, I could talk for hours about this. So you got to cut me off, Stuart. This is. I would think there's going to be a part two at some point because it's it, it's fantastic. Um, I'm so grateful for Zanotti content like putting us me together. Because, me too. Um, and, and, and as well, when this is all finished and we hang up recording and all that. You've got my details. Anytime, you know, you need me, I'll always, oh. it, you know, uh, I won't answer straight away because you've got a time difference. But I... <laughs> <Yeah>. No, I appreciate <laughs> no. that. And I think, but, yeah, I, I think that for me, like, you know, sometimes you can feel like an island or that you just don't know what you're doing and you don't know how to ask for help or anybody really gets it. And so for me, even just meeting you in this moment is just like, it's giving me this fuel of like, okay, I'm not alone. Other people get what I'm doing. They get what I'm saying. They get the nitty gritty, the not as bright and shiny parts of it. And so I just appreciate this conversation. And I deeply appreciate Zanotti for not just supporting both of us, but connecting us too. Yeah, amazing. Well, um, we'll put all the links on at the end. Um, you've got to send me a lovely picture for the picture and uh, we'll put all the little, uh, all, all the links for everything that you're doing and any other organizations you want to bring attention so we'll Perfect. put that on there as well oh my gosh this is amazing i appreciate you oh i appreciate you and uh thank you so much for your time and we'll have many many more conversations i completely agree take care of yourself Stuart. Yeah, thank you <laughs>